Hi, I'm Talia. And I'm Ehab. We are the hosts of Compassionate Conversations podcast. Which is all about honest and compassionate conversations around issues affecting young people from single parent households. We'll be hosting each episode where we speak to some amazing young people with inspiring stories. Don't forget to subscribe and follow us on social media, Single Parents Wellbeing. This episode of Compassionate Conversations may be triggering to some people as we delve into topics of mental health, self-harm, psychosis, anxiety and depression. Hello and welcome to our new series featuring amazing young people who will be sharing their stories and shedding light on some of the things that young people face. I'm Ehab. And I'm Talia. However, this podcast is all about us and our journeys and how we've ended up at Single Parents Wellbeing. We wanted to create these series to tell with the power of stories and let's start with you, Talia. Tell us a bit about you and how you ended up at Single Parents Wellbeing. Hi, Yab. Yeah, so a little overview of me. I lived in Cheddar, grew up there for the majority of my life. I was there from like six months old to 18. I lived mainly with my mum and my sister for most part of my life. My mum ended up marrying my dad and so yeah and I've got a family of one or four sisters all girls all girls so yeah (laughs) we've got a big girls family nice it's funny because my mum also is one of seven girls so yeah we girls dominate our family (laughs) yeah I didn't Um, know that yeah so not a surprise that when I had my first child and only child I had a girl yeah, so when I was a teenager, I was best friends with my like childhood sweetheart and ended up getting pregnant slightly unexpectedly. But yeah, yeah so my life took a big change when yeah. I was 15 and I had my very beautiful daughter, Lily. Yeah, My family were incredible and luckily I was able to continue my education and get through GCSEs and A-levels. And I was then able to come to uni in Cardiff when I was 18. So that's what brought me to Cardiff. So yeah, I did my degree in philosophy and religious studies because that was the only subject that I absolutely loved. (laughs) I can have a deep conversation about God or different faiths any day. So yeah, I chose that. And I really enjoyed studying, actually, but I decided that I was done studying about helping people because I did like lots about psychotherapy and was like, actually, I would just want to do, I just want to work with people and yeah, actually do the stuff rather than reading books. So that's what led me to single parents' wellbeing, really, because they're just, I heard about them and they're so compassionate and I was just very drawn in by the whole company and everything that they do with other young single parents so that's how I ended up in single parents well-being yeah and a little bit about me what about you Ehab? So I'm Ehab I was born and raised in the Netherlands with my parents coming from northeast Africa in Sudan so I identify as black I moved to the UK when I was about 10 and I had to learn English as my third language so I spoke Dutch and Arabic with my family and then I had to yeah had to learn English just before going to high school that's so big yeah yeah and I was raised in a Muslim household but the way I end up in single parents well-being is a bit unconventional because I'm not a single 
parent <laughs> and I'm not from a single parent background either but I really I'm passionate about volunteering and charitable work yeah so when I saw single parents well-being I was like I could like work with people then yeah because originally I went to uni to do engineering and I didn't really enjoy that to be honest I kind of did it because the expectation as the oldest son is to like be the provider kind of in my family so we're part of I'm in the same role as Talia for six months it's a six month placement and we hope to interview other people for this podcast series I've struggled with mental health since I was young so that's I'll go into a detail about that in a moment because we want to shed light on some of the more difficult conversations as this series is called compassionate conversations yeah so that's something that me and Ehab have we're both really really passionate about and we can't wait to have lots of inspiring young people coming on and sharing their own story of what they've been through with us and be able to just listen to them and yeah just hopefully empower them and other listeners who might be have gone through something maybe slightly similar and can relate in some way and just feel less alone in their own journey yeah so we especially because the people that we work with like mental health is a massive thing especially after the pandemic and so this is a quote this is from the NHS digital report 52 percent of 17 to 23 year olds say their mental health has deteriorated in 2021 that's like over half yeah. of young people from 17 to 23 yeah. who are struggling and that's, that's massive. massive yeah huge. that's huge and we both know so many people really struggling right now with their mental health and yeah we just think we need way more conversations about it and more needs to be done yeah so that's a part of our job that's why we love doing what we're doing because we like arrange lots of social outings to help people build friendships have these conversations and hopefully feel less alone in what they're going through yeah you've got a quote from Brené Brown haven't you oh my goodness I love love Brené Brown Brown. (laughs) I love her queen she is my queen so loving ourselves through the process of owning our story is the bravest thing we will ever do and the second one but I couldn't decide which one I love more. <laughs> so we so put both. Yeah, we put them both in. Daring greatly means the courage to be vulnerable. It means to show up and be seen, to ask for what you need, to talk about how you're feeling and to have the hard conversations. So that is credit to Brené Brown. The amazing um, Brené Brown. The amazing Brené Brown, who is all for vulnerability and... So yeah, we just believe in the power of stories and that's why we've called them compassionate conversations. Yeah. And so because of that and because we will be asking lots of young people to share their stories, we thought, why, let's just start as we mean to go on. Yeah, and practice what we preach. Yeah, Yeah. 100%. So yeah, Ehab is going to share a little bit about his story with mental health. So yeah, Ehab, do you want to share what happened? Yeah. As I was going through my teenage years, I noticed that my sister was started to isolate herself. And that was the first instance of mental health that I noticed in, and I, family. in my family. Okay. And it affected her before it affected me, even though she's younger than me. And I 
didn't really know how to deal with it. So I kind of stopped talking to her for a little bit because I didn't know what to say to her. Yeah. And then... What did you think it was at the time? Because, like, our family doesn't really talk about these things. So I thought it was, like, bullying or something like that in school. Yeah. So, but I didn't know how to, like, start the conversation with her. Yeah. And even though I'm very close to her, we didn't have the language to really communicate our feelings. Yeah. So... It's quite dark, but like I found out that she was self-harming. That's when I realized, okay, this is real. This is serious. Yeah. And like a year later, my own mental health started to go down. So I knew then that, okay, this is a problem and I have to deal with it somehow. Yeah. But being the oldest child and like the male, mm-hmm. you kind of bottle these things up. Yeah. And I didn't really talk about it to anyone and I wanted to be strong for my sister because I didn't want her to see me struggle because I wanted her to have like hope basically to like come out the other side yeah so oh that's such a hard one yeah yeah yeah. and then I moved to university I went to Union Bath so I did a degree for five years so I was away for a long time and my mental health I was started to struggle with depression and anxiety I was comfortable enough talking to my friends which was really good because I knew it was a thing like from my sister and I was like you have to talk about this you you can't bottle it up so I opened up to my friends and they were giving me advice and stuff like that were they supportive or did you feel they were supportive they understand um they did understand but they didn't really know what to do about it so they just acknowledged it which was fine some friends said, oh, you should probably go to therapy, which I did try, but there was this massive waiting list at my university because mental health just isn't funded very well no. at universities, no. as you'll know. Yeah. So I... Gosh. How long were you waiting? Literally, like, weeks. Yeah. Weeks. And then I did one session and they asked me, are you at immediate risk to yourself? Yeah. And when I said no, they just pushed me on the list. They pushed me down the list. Because it's so bad. Because if you're not like a risk to yourself, they don't really consider you like a serious case. Yeah. Even though I did struggle with my mental health. So. It's bad because they're really just saying, okay, we're going to leave you. And every day that they're leaving you is pushing you to the point of like extreme end of like you're really, really struggling. Yeah. But you shouldn't be pushed to that end. No, you shouldn't. Like there should be. There should be like prevention. prevention. Yeah. Massively things on prevention anyway carry on yeah so then a couple of years later I've pretty much figured out how to deal with it like I was fine and then COVID hit and I suddenly noticed like a big drop in my mental health because I was isolated for a long period at uni all my mates went straight back home but I stayed up in Bath basically because I had to do my dissertation and in hindsight I probably should have gone home as well but I was just focus on doing my work yeah so I stayed in Bath for like two weeks by myself basically yeah and I didn't realize at the time but it affected my mental health loads yeah not seeing people it was just a time of a lot of anxiety about the future and stuff yeah so I went at the end of those two weeks I went back home yeah and I suddenly couldn't sleep and I've always struggled with insomnia yeah ever since I was like 11 but when I went home, I literally couldn't sleep, like, for days at a time. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Wow. So, and that triggered something called psychosis, which is basically you get paranoia and delusions. Mm-hmm. 
it's quite scary because you don't know you're going through it. You just suddenly start to become paranoid and anxious. You start to like lose trust in people around you. Yeah. And basically, I ended up having to go to hospital because it got that bad. Because a week of not sleeping, yeah. it affects your state of mind a lot. Yeah, of so I remember I had to be taken to hospital and they were like, you're under the section two mental health act and you have to stay here with in this hospital so yeah. I wasn't able to see my parents for like a, a month yeah because they were worried that that would trigger me again yeah because I thought my parents were like out to get me basically and I lost trust in the government the, and like my parents and basically I isolated myself yeah when you were actually in that state of mind did you know that it was what was happening to you? I didn't. I or, had no idea. Or did it feel so real to you? It that... felt so real. And the only thing that made me realise it was actually my sister, which is quite funny because she does psychology. So she saw me acting strange and saying strange things because I was like, oh, I feel like... Because I posted like a poem on Instagram yeah. about Black Lives Matter yeah. and it was quite like a heated time politically. Yeah, yeah. And I remember being... Because I'm a black man, I remember being quite paranoid about it and like yeah. anxious about it. Yeah. So I put a poem on Instagram. In my head, I was like, the paranoia started because I was like, what if this post blows up and then they come and get me? Like the oh, government comes and gets me because yeah. every time someone speaks out, like I thought, well, some people get assassinated for speaking their mind. Yeah. And like in that state of mind, everything becomes really dramatic yeah. and like serious. Yeah. And I was saying to my sister everyone stay in the house because if you go out you might get killed oh my god yeah and i fully believed that and my sister was like ehab what are you saying mm. and i was like i just don't feel good i don't feel comfortable here but if we stay in the house we'll be fine and my dad was like confused and my mum was confused yeah, and they all they were imagine. all like what are you saying and i was like i just think we'd be safe if we stay in the house. Yeah. And then my sister, because she does psychology, she was like, Ehab, I think you're having a psychotic episode. And it just clicked at that moment. Yeah. And I just, I broke down, essentially yeah. crying. And I was like, okay, I need help. Yeah. Because yeah. I realised at that point that what I'm saying isn't real. Yeah. That it's not reality. Yeah. So my mind had been pushed to like an extreme level of stress. Yeah. And all these delusions started coming and psychosis affects you based on your cultural and like religious background. Yeah. So it's different for every person. Yeah. And it makes sense with like what you said about politically, everything that was going on with yeah. Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And even the thing with like George Floyd. Yeah, literally. That's all over the place. It was like all over. It was every, Facebook, every news. Every news, yeah. every Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. So I had that on my mind anyway. And I was just pushed to a level of stress yeah. because I was stressed about my future as well. I was like, I've just graduated. I don't know what I'm doing. Moved home, couldn't sleep. And like everything just kind of came to a crisis point. Yeah. And in the end, they were like, but they put me on medication, basically. I was like scared because mm. I, I didn't know what was happening. I remember being surrounded by 10 men. They basically had to sedate me. With, they injected me with something and I in my mind I was like what are they injecting me with is this like lethal injection that's yeah. like yeah. your mind gets pushed to extreme thoughts yeah. and then but it was just a sedative to calm me down because I was that yeah. m like manic 
And then I remember I stayed in hospital for a couple of weeks and then I, I was still having delusions while I was in the hospital. I thought I was like a religious figure, like a prophet or something like that. Yeah. And a lot of people in hospital thought they were like Jesus or like yeah. the Messiah or like, because you have, they're called delusions of grandeur. Okay. So you have these huge, big, like extreme thoughts and you, you basically believe them yeah. to be true. Yeah. So they put me on medication. They did a series of like interviews with me, basically yeah. asking me what is going on and how are you feeling? Yeah. And then as I was explaining what was on my mind, mm -hmm. I realized slowly that my thoughts weren't actually true, yeah. which is like a bizarre thing to realize. Yeah. Because you just take your thoughts for granted. Yeah, granted. Yeah. yeah. And then I remember meeting other people who were like even more ill than I was. Yeah. It just showed me. It was like a reflection to me. Because yeah. I was like, oh, someone was in there for years. That's uh, so sad. Yeah. Really yeah. sad. It's difficult. And like they're labeled as crazy, but they're not crazy. They're ill. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're ill. It's an illness. Yeah. And it can be cured. Yeah. So... Basically, I stayed in hospital for six weeks and they put me on medication for anxiety. They put me on sleeping medication because I wasn't sleeping yeah. very well. And yeah. they were like, we need to sort that out first. Yeah. And obviously they like fed us our meals every day and like had like a routine okay. to like kind of rehabilitate you. Yeah. And that must have been such a shock to yeah. realise when you were coming out of it, like what had just happened. Yeah. Yeah. To like confront it you just don't believe it because it's so bizarre it's yeah. so surreal were you ever afraid that it would happen again I was yeah yeah because yeah. I didn't know how long it was going to last basically yeah I thought I was like trapped in it but I was put on antipsychotic medication yeah and basically after six weeks I started to like come out of all the delusions and everything and I started to realize okay so this is what's real this is what's not real I know where I am I know I'm in hospital mm -hmm. I thought initially I thought I was in a prison yeah because I was like they took my phone they took my watch they took everything off of me and I thought I was like am I in a prison like did I commit a crime so I just wasn't comfortable in that place for a long time but then I realized okay I'm in a hospital I'm safe my friends were then able to contact me because they gave me my phone after a while. Okay. And I remember posting on social media just just before I went to hospital, I put a post up saying the police is out to get me. And because I was arrested, essentially, for breaking the TV in my house, because I thought I was being watched through the TV, like that was one of my delusions. So I should have gone to hospital straight away, but they actually arrested me and put me in a cell for 24 oh hours. Yeah. Which was literally horrific. Yeah. Worst experience of my life by far. Yeah. Because I didn't know how long I was going to be in there for. I was just panicking, basically. And essentially, after a, like a period of time, when I was able to contact my friends, I started to feel normal again. Yeah. I still had some delusions, but they were like not that intense or yeah. like it was just like smaller delusions yeah and my anxiety kind of like leveled out and so so I wasn't that anxious anymore yeah because I was quite manic at hospital like I became very very extroverted yeah. like my moods was very elevated and which is weird because it feels good like it yeah. actually feels good when you're that high so they thought I was bipolar which I still don't know if I am or not but 
because I was showing these manic like state of mind where I was like yeah. I was literally like talking to everyone on the street dancing like singing like just yeah. enjoying my time basically yeah and then they put me on medication to like calm me down and I just didn't know why they were doing that but obviously it's not safe to be that manic because you, you can get into trouble basically yeah because you might yeah. run into the street and do something crazy yeah so that's why they kept me in the hospital for like a period of time okay. and then they slowly started giving me time to like go leave the premises yeah. so they gave me like half an hour then they gave me an hour then they okay. gave me two hours four hours okay. and then I was able to go home which was strange just going back to my house where I first started having all these delusions and from that point because so you shared about your family had no idea what was happening yeah, before no idea and then after your time in hospital I'm assuming that they began to understand what was actually happening yeah what yeah was going they on. were told yeah it must have been quite a shock to them 100% yeah because that was new to them wasn't it 100% yeah so we barely talked about anxiety and depression so let alone psychosis which is like a whole another thing yeah so they had no clue what was going on they yeah. didn't know how to deal with it okay. like I said I should have gone to hospital first but their immediate reaction was to call the police yeah because they were like he's acting erratic he's dangerous so when they called the police that made my fears worse because I was like this is black lives matter yeah. and what are these yeah. police then going to do to me oh my gosh it was That's sc- so scary, scary yeah but I wish and I'm grateful for my sister because she knew it was psychosis and could explain it to my parents and it made that process a little bit easier for them okay so I'm lucky that she does psychology because otherwise they would have had no clue at all yeah and so they were kind of being educated you could Uh, say exactly like during that time on mental health problems yeah mental health problems yeah and did it start the conversations it did when you got back yeah so after the six-week period, I was basically pretty much back to normal. I had no delusions, no nothing. And they were like, you can be discharged now because you've shown that you've recovered, basically. Yeah. Because it is treatable. And I went back home and I remember the first night sleeping in my house. I slept in my mum and dad's bedroom because they were like, we need to make sure that you're calm and safe. Yeah. And I did that and I was fine. And then... I spoke to them about my depression and anxiety and let them know about mental health. And it opened up so many conversations wow. and it brought up my sister's stuff, my brother's stuff. Oh, wow. So everyone immediately became a lot more like open, open about it because before that we were just walking, tiptoeing around these issues. Yeah. Like I know my sister struggled with mental health. My brother did as well, but we never talked about it. But because yeah. this was so extreme, yeah. it forced us to talk about it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Which I guess like. That's the silver lining. I yeah. Guess. It sounds <laughs> like a one. silver lining. Yeah. If there's one, because it sounds one. like horrific and you've been through so much. But if now your household are much more open and if yeah. that's reduced, like preventing mental health issues from getting worse yeah I hope and I know that my siblings won't go through it because now we know like the warning signs of if you don't sleep and if you don't eat properly and if you have extreme stress like your mind can go to extreme places yeah so we're all look out for each other now like we can spot the signs yeah and we're all much better off now wow that's amazing yeah 
Are you open with each other about it? So do you feel now that you can, if you were struggling at home, you can speak to them about it? Yeah, I can speak to them about it. I spend a lot more time with my parents now because there was a period where I didn't spend time with them. So like I hang around with them like quite a lot and talk to them openly. Yeah. My family in Sudan doesn't really know it. They don't really understand it. But they knew I went to hospital. But I basically recovered. I'm like now... I haven't had any delusions or anything like that. I'm like completely back to normal. And I've been... You're working. I'm working. And you're like, helping other young people yeah, with yeah. mental health. And like my friends were like, are you sure you lost your mind? Because they see me as completely normal now. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I did. And it was scary. Yeah. But it is treatable. Yeah. And if you put on the right medication and you've got support from your family, yeah. you can recover. Like, it's not a permanent thing. Yeah. There's a famous actor, British actor, who had psychosis as well. Yeah. And he opened up his story. And I connected with that quite a lot. And oh. he was black as well, actually. So it is not common, but it does happen. And yeah. it can be scary for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. So I just think if you can talk about these issues from like an early point yeah you won't have to get to that extreme crisis point yeah because if you bottle it all up your stress just increases and increases yeah and there is a limit to how much stress you can handle yeah so so you had the experience of your parents not understanding mental health problems so not knowing how to help you i had no beforehand before yeah And so if there's parents who might be listening to this episode, what would you encourage parents who are raising and living with their kids who might be experiencing mental health problems? So this goes for anxiety and depression as well. But if you notice your kids suddenly change their habits or their like eating pattern or isolate themselves quite a bit or like making excuses to not come into the living room and like just acting a bit different all of a sudden yeah you need to talk to them like and figure out what they're struggling with especially if it's self-harming because that is a serious issue that a lot of people do go through yeah so I think as long as you can be open as a family and get around those awkward topics early enough yeah all of this can be prevented yeah because you can get the help and there is help out there. Yeah. There are organisations, there are phone numbers, there's a lot of help out there, but you just need to access it. You need yeah. to be able to access it. So if you can be honest with your parents and your parents can be honest with you, then you can sort these issues out before they escalate. Yeah. So for me, for example, one of my big issues was insomnia. I couldn't really sleep since I was like 11. I used yeah. to like struggle with that. And if that had been solved early enough... I don't think I would have had psychosis because the lack of sleep does trigger stress and stuff like that. So I remember when I went to the doctor, I was like 11 and I was like, I can't sleep. And they did some like general checks on me Mm -hmm. and they were like, you're fine. You're completely fine. And I was like, but why can't I sleep? And they were like, we don't know. And then I never talked about that again with my parents because they didn't believe me. They didn't. They were like, oh, you're just staying up late on purpose. They thought I was like, purposefully trying to avoid sleeping yeah and I was like but I put my head down and my thoughts are just racing yeah but they just didn't get that yeah. because they'd never experienced it yeah so they couldn't relate to it yeah and they maybe thought you were just misbehaving rather than literally. just really struggling literally yeah so and 
those conversations, if you can have them and be honest, your parents have to acknowledge it yeah. and not not tell you this is a phase or blah, 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 blah. Like minimizing your story. Yeah. They have to acknowledge what you've said and like take it seriously. Yeah. And then you can prevent this whole thing from happening. Wow. So it shows how powerful actually like parents or the closest people around you it makes at a the big time difference. actually are in yeah. hearing what is going on and really like taking you seriously. Taking you seriously. That you mean Because there are saying. warning signs. Yeah. There are warning signs. And if someone is like aware of them in general, yeah. then you can like act upon it before it escalates yeah so i was lucky that i had friends that i could talk to it could have been even worse to be honest but yeah. i had a good group of friends yeah, um, and they amazing. supported me and everything and they were checking up on me while i was in hospital and they were like when can we see you when can we see you yeah. and it, it gave me so much peace to be like i do have people that i can trust yeah because with psychosis you just lose trust in people and depression and anxiety which is even more common like a lot of people go through yeah. it is even more it can be debilitating yeah. like it can like make you isolated and scared and like anxious and depressed and you just feel like you can't get out of it yeah but through medication and i'm trying to get rid of the stigma of getting medication yeah because i know there is a bit of a stigma for it because People don't talk about it really, yeah. but I'm on medication now yeah. and it's helped me with my depression. Yeah. It's helped me with my anxiety. Like I feel relatively completely normal now yeah. and I just need that little bit of extra help from medication, yeah. which is fine. Which is totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Like if you have diabetes, you inject yourself with insulin. Yeah. So if you have a mental health problem, you should be able to take medication. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you have to take it forever. You might recover and be fine yeah. and you won't need it at some point in your life. Yeah. But if you are struggling, I don't think there's any shame in taking medication, yeah. really. I've seen you've like just come on to like a really like another really important subject around stigma and around like taking medication. Yeah. And I've seen this new thing on Instagram with other people trying to challenge the stigma yeah. and they're like taking a photo of their like medication that they might be taking for like anxiety for example right and they take a picture and they post it online and it's just trying to start this movement of like normalizing it of yeah. showing how many people because with like facebook and social media you never see like behind closed doors what's True. going on you just see the best version exactly, of people like but, the happiest version exactly and yeah. i think they're just trying to like normalize like the everyday things that people do to to cope to cope yeah. yeah and to like handle like mental health problems and yeah yeah so it's interesting it is really interesting yeah. so moving on to our final question that we've decided on our <laughs> signature question if you could go back in time and meet your younger self who had no idea what kind of journey you were about to take regards to mental health, what would you tell your younger self? <laughs> that is a great question. I would say you have to be honest with yourself when you realise you need help. Yeah. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. Okay. So you need to go through that stage and be open with the people around you and don't sh isolate yourself. And you'll be fine. You will be fine. You'll come out the other end yeah. and you'll be stronger than you started. Yeah. You will be resilient, 
because you face something that is pretty traumatic. Yeah. And there are a lot of traumatic things that happen in life, but I think you grow as a person through going through that. So yeah. I would tell my younger self, stay strong and be patient and mm. you will be better at the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> so honestly, I think your story is so inspiring how you managed to get through something so difficult yeah. and come through and, and be in a job now where you're supporting other people every day and yeah. you're just doing amazingly. Thank you. And I get why your friends were like, oh, I don't even believe that happened because yeah. it shows the recovery process. Yeah. yeah. But the reality is it did happen. And, it did happen, yeah. And you should keep sharing your story because... Yeah. Yeah, you're so strong and you've done amazingly and so many people are going through this right now. Yeah. And maybe don't know what it looks like to come through it. Yeah. And be able to get back to life as normal. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's just so incredible. So I'm so happy you've come through it. Yeah. Yeah. And are working with us. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So yeah, if we understand that this conversation is a compassionate conversation with both of the hosts and, and Talia and we're really happy to be able to have these conversations and yeah we understand that this one in particular was it might be triggering for some it could be triggering and so if anyone has any more questions or wants to talk about it if we will post our email addresses below and you can contact us anytime yeah so yeah or if anybody else would like to share their story and you want to yeah come and speak with us then we would love to have you here with us in the kit and we'd love to hear your story all right then i think that's it from us thank you Talia. yeah for giving me the platform to talk about this oh it's a pleasure all right bye thanks for listening to compassionate conversations Make sure you have a listen to our other episodes and don't forget to subscribe. And follow us on at Single Parents Wellbeing.